Welcome to episode 169 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Season 7, Episode 20, Fight Club. Original air date is May 7th of the year 2000. The action primarily takes place in Kansas. It's written by Chris Carter and directed by Paul Shapiro. And the average IMDb user score is 6.3 out of 10. That 6.3 score makes it the lowest rated episode of Season 7 as far as the IMDb is concerned. It's also one of the few episodes that has actually reduced in score since I started doing the podcast and collected the scores then. Now, when this season was first planned and the beats were figured out in terms of what was going to happen to the sweeps week, what would fill in, the expectation was that this would be the final season and that there was only going to be two episodes after this, or possibly the two-part finale. Which always makes me wonder, when they realized that they were going to get a season eight, and they didn't need a two-hour finale, is this the episode that they slipped in? Because it is, as I said, the lowest rated of this season, and it feels like they had an idea for doppelgangers, and they wanted to do a story about doppelgangers and how they've existed in our culture, at least. But it wasn't a fully formed idea. They weren't sure what to do with it. It's not really Chris Carter's typical fare when he's contributing to the series. When he's scripted, his episodes tend to be much stronger than this, even in season one, when they were still trying to sort of find their footing. So although there have been stronger episodes, I wouldn't blame director Paul Shapiro for the fact that this isn't as strong as most have been. Yes, this is his only episode of The X-Files. He had previously directed five episodes of Millennium. He went on to direct Dark Angel, Roswell, 24, part of the 2002 Twilight Zone, an episode of Supernatural, six episodes of Smallville. According to the IMDb, he's best known as the director of The Lotus Eaters, some episodes of 24 and Heroes, and Choices of the Heart. So he's got the directing credits. And again, this is his only X-Files. So again, it makes me wonder, was this a last-minute replacement? Now, you'd think that they spent some time planning it just with the cast. This is about two women who bear a striking resemblance to each other. And anytime they get in proximity of each other, people break out fighting, including the door-to-door missionaries who are coming to spread the word of God. Anyone at a bar, we're seeing earthquakes, we're seeing glasses explode. It's incredibly intense. Those women are played by Kathy Griffin, best known for her roles in Suddenly Susan, The Cable Guy, Hall Pass, and Dirty Love. 79 credits to her name. At the time this came out, I would say she was hands down the most recognizable of all of the guest stars in the episode. She'd even played Sally Weaver on a couple episodes of Seinfeld. Now, both of her characters ended up falling in love with Bert Zapanek. An amateur wrestler who was just, you know, trying to make a living. And because they both fell in love, that's why they were not leaving as they had been, chasing each other through 17 states. Zapanik is played by Randall Tex Cobb, who's best known for his work in Raising Arizona, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, and Uncommon Valor. His 33 acting credits also include Walker, Texas Ranger, as his last appearance back in 2001. Not sure why he retired. We also have 
in the heat of the night, married with children, police academy four, but we won't hold that against him. It was early in his career. So he plays Birds of Panic, and eventually at the end we discover he also has a twin, or a doppelganger. He's working with a crooked wrestling manager named Art Evans. I knew him best as Barnes in Die Hard 2, which is his number one item on the also-known-for list. He was also in Fright Night, Interstate 60, and Trespass. He's got 114 credits to his name, two of them from 2018. Now we've got Jack McGee for the man Scully eventually reveals to be the father of these two women through donations to a sperm bank. Jack McGee is best known for his work in The Fighter, Gangster Squad, Drive Angry, and Basic Instinct. 212 acting credits to his name, some in 2019, and three more in pre- or post-production. So clearly he is still working as well. Brian Chenoweth plays the boss at one of the Kinkos, where one of the two women gets a job. He was also Ken on Friends. He's been in Grey's Anatomy, Ray Donovan, and The Artist. 32 acting credits to his name. Jim Hanna plays the other Kinko's manager because, you know, everyone has that similar position. Not quite doppelganger, but again, a similar look. He's best known for The Middle, Battle of the Sexes, Law and Order, True Crimes, and More of the Worlds, the 2005 Steven Spielberg version. 71 acting credits to his name. This is also early in his career. It's only his third credit on the IMDb. A couple other notables. Early on, they really play up the doppelganger thing by having FBI agents voiced by Duchovny and Anderson show up at the door of one of the victims to do an investigation. It's not Mulder and Scully. It's an agent who looks like Mulder and an agent who looks like Scully. The agent who looks like Mulder is Steve Kiziak. He's David Duchovny's stand-in. So when Duchovny's unavailable and they need someone to be filmed from behind, or just to block the shots before they start filming, they bring him in because from behind, he can pass for David Duchovny. So it's not obvious that it's not actually Duchovny there. This is his third appearance in The X-Files in a credited role. He played Steve in the episode Hungry. He's got an uncredited role as David Duchovny in Hollywood AD, but I assume that's just some stand-in work that has been manually listed. And this is his final credit there. So it's the last time his name appears on screen, but not the last time he worked with the crew. I would say more notably is Arlene Warren. She appears in 10 episodes of The X-Files, five prior to this, and then obviously four more to come, generally as Skinner's assistant. And she was credited at the time not as Arlene Warren, but as Arlene Pileggi. She is actually married, or was at the time, to Mitch Pileggi who obviously plays Skinner. Now, the IMDb isn't totally clear on whether they're still together. It looks like they are. It says that they've been married since January 1st, 1997, and that she was previously married to Dean Warren. So the IMDb may be listing her as Arlene Warren because that was her original acting name, but it's not her name now. Now, She is best known for the X-Files, both the TV series and the PlayStation 2 game, where she played Skinner's assistant, as well as roles in Profile for Murder, and Whale Music. The story itself, in terms of the plot between the doppelgangers, I find it strained. The humor doesn't amuse me. There's just way too much coincidence going on. They've never explained why women who apparently have the same father, so they are 
have sisters but look like twins would have this result of this effect on the world when they're together. Why Bert and his twin will momentarily calm people down before that keeps going. I mean, they don't always have a firm explanation, but at least there seems to be an internal logic that's lacking here. On the upside, this does seem to be positioning Scully for the new status quo in season eight, which is another reason I think it might have been a late addition to the episode roster for the season. When Mulder starts going through things with her at the beginning during the slideshow, she calls him out for the fact that he always leaves out an important piece of information, and this time she deduces what's going on, arrives at the doppelganger theory herself, and is totally on board with looking for the supernatural. So she finally seems to have reached that place where she's accepting that these sorts of things are going on, which is something we're going to be seeing a lot more of. At this point, they did finally know that yes, season 8 was coming. They'd signed the contracts. It wasn't Carter's intent to go to season eight, but the contracts that he had with Fox had some clauses that he didn't think through or didn't realize. When he came to them and said, This is the final season, here's our series finale, Fox's response was, Well, this may be your final season, but we own the X Files and we'll keep making it with or without you because it's doing well. So then Carter had to decide. Would he stick around to work on essentially his baby and keep doing the X-Files so that it is still something of his vision? Or would he step away and let someone else take over and lose control of the X-Files? He chose to stay. After he made that decision, Gillian Anderson chose to stay with him since they already knew that David Duchovny would be leaving at least in a full-time capacity. Duchovny was going to do part-time in season eight and hadn't committed to anything beyond that. So it does really feel like it was a last-minute thing to me. And I suspect that's why it's not as good as the results the same creative team have put together in other seasons and other episodes. Anyway, there's not much to value with the science here aside from the fact that there's nothing to base this on. There's not even conjecture as to why these half-sisters would have this effect when they're in close proximity, or even why, as half-sisters, they look this much alike. I mean, sure, similarities are natural, but half of someone's genes come from the mother. So why is there no sign of the mother's influence? Did dad have a type and all the physical attributes of both mothers are so similar that you don't really distinguish the differences? How does the same thing happen with Bert and his brother that he didn't seem to be aware of? There's just so much going on that they don't even pretend to explain. It seems like they just wanted to have the joke, the breaking into fights and all that seems to just be a riff on Fight Club, which was an incredibly popular movie in 1999. And at the time of this recording is still number 10 on the Internet Movie Database list of the top 250 movies of all time. I mean, really, there's no reason to have all this open-ended. It, it really just feels like they needed another episode because the series wasn't ending. And now, okay, quick, let's put one together and we can use it to establish Skelly. And that really is the best piece of it, is establishing Skelly as someone who's acting like she has seen what she has actually seen over the past seven years and is starting to investigate accordingly. Anyway, that's all we have to say about Fight Club. Join us again in two weeks' time for 
Je suis hate. Thank you for listening.